Hey, what's going on, guys? Today's show is brought to you by our dear, dear, dear friends at Lorenzotti, Italy. You guys know them well by now. And if you haven't tried their premium Italian coffee, I don't know what you're waiting for. Who doesn't want premium coffee delivered right to their door so that they can pretend in these days of the COVID lockdown that they're sitting in the rolling hills of Tuscany enjoying a delicious cup of coffee, maybe even brewed in some professional brewing, uh, coffee brewing equipment supplied by Lorenzotti Coffee. So if that sounds good to you, do yourself a favor, go to Lorenzotti.coffee and use my promo code FICTION so they know that I sent you and you can get 10% off your order. That is Lorenzotti.coffee, L-O-R, E as in Edward, N as in Nancy, Z as in Zebra, O-T-T-I.coffee, promo code FICTION for 10% off. Get your days started right with a cup of coffee that tastes like freedom. Go to Lorenzotti.coffee. Coffee, promo code fiction. All right, let's start the show. Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceilings does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. Hello, hello, what is up everybody? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Peddling Fiction. I, of course, am your host, the voice and soul of so-called fiction, Johnny the Gentile Propita. Hope everyone's doing well today. I actually have a special guest that some of you may have already watched. One of his documentary films he was advertising on the show a few months ago. I guess it was several months ago now. Now that I think about it, man, the time sure does fly when you're having fun. And we'll get into the the interview with him in, in just a minute. Just a few quick announcements. Don't forget that on Fridays now, every other Friday, we are doing our special happy hour for all the Peddling Fiction podcast supporters. And anybody that has been a supporter in the past has been grandfathered in. All of those people that contributed to the the Kiara fund for my my friend's daughter, you know, I was thinking about just leaving it, uh, just having them them involved in it for the first few weeks, but I think I'm just gonna leave it as is. Like you guys are in for as long as you you know, anytime you want to pop in for a, a cocktail with me on a Friday that we're doing it, feel free to do so. So I will keep them all in the group. But depending on when this episode airs, I, I haven't decided when I'm actually going to drop it because I, I pre-recorded the interview so that I just have this episode ready to drop when I need an episode. So the, right now it's the 4th of February and we're doing one tomorrow on the 5th and then it's going to be every other Friday after that. So if you are a supporter of the show, come and have a drink with me. One, two, maybe five, who knows? think the last one we went for a couple hours so but you can you know pop in whenever you want but it's better if you get in there right when we do it at 6 p.m central time because 
you know, when, when people come in like, you know, 45 minutes late, an hour late, it, it kind of keeps pushing it into the, you know, off into the future. And I, I do want to get a chance to hang with you guys. But uh, when, when we have people coming in late, you know, I don't want to cut you short, but that, that could happen. So try to get there right at six. I know it's fashionable to be late these days, but um, you'll also, you'll, you'll get a good sunset if you're there at six. For those of you guys that are, you know, buried in snow in the Midwest or something like that, or you don't have a, a beachfront access, I can share the sunset with you guys. You just have to tune in. Sun. Well, the sunsets at about seven is is actually when the sun goes down, but the the time leading up to it is always always a good time and everything like that. So, um, come have some sunset cocktails with me and all of the supporting listeners. And if you're not a supporting listener, just go to peddlingfictionpodcast.com, click on the support the tab link, and set up a recurring monthly donation. It doesn't have to be much. I think the minimum is a dollar or something like that. So uh, anything that you contribute gets you into this little party that we were having every other Friday. And the more the merrier as far as I'm concerned. So go off and do that. Other than that, I think that's uh, that's all I have to announce for you guys. And joining me today is J.D. Leet. He's a documentary filmmaker. Well, he's a former SWIC turned anarcho-capitalist documentary filmmaker and you may have heard of him before if you've been listening to the show for a while because he was promoting his documentary navy seals target of opportunity on this very podcast he's a fan of the show he's a a filmmaker and just an all-around nice guy so i thought i'd have him on to talk about what he's up to so what's going on jd welcome to the show nothing i'm just hanging out trying to uh Make it through the the uh, COVID, and it's it's JD, right? Does that stand for anything, or is that? Yes, James Douglas. Okay. Most people know me by Doug, my middle name, but I go by JD for for the film and everything. So I know when uh, if anybody doesn't call me Doug, I know it's a bill collector or uh, or something. <laughs> so um, you you were one of the uh, the first advertisers I actually had on the podcast. And it was for a movie that you made. It's uh, the name of it is Navy Seal Target of Opportunity. Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, that's correct. It's uh, it, the, on iTunes and uh, Amazon Prime. And the original name of the movie was uh, uh, tar- Target of Opportunity: The U.S. Navy Seals and the Murder of Jennifer Evans. But um, Amazon and everybody in my agent thought it had to have Navy SEALs right there in the front. The, you know, that's what everybody is interested in is Navy SEALs. So they made, they called it Navy SEALs, um, murderer, question mark, <laughs> frame, question mark, target of opportunity, question mark. That's right. And that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's how it got that name. A, a you know, a first time filmmaker documentary um, about something that I know quite a bit about i'm a retired navy chief i was what's called a swick the special warfare combat crewman which we deliver seals and other people we also do regular rivering combat and things like that uh, and uh so I, I i can break down the the plot of the movie if you're ready for that um well, let's uh, let, let's back up and get into your mm-hmm. military background first. How did how did you get into that? 
and and sort of make this transition into right. filmmaking and anarcho-capitalism and everything like oh, that. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's... Well, I'd been an athlete. I, I played college basketball at George Mason University and was much more interested in, in the college life and playing basketball than I was in academics. And so when I, uh, when I dropped out, uh, I uh, joined the Navy. But I, I had an interest in, in documentary film ever since seeing uh, Thin Blue Line. But uh, I did four years on a, on a ship, the, uh, the Yorktown. A great time traveling around the world. It was great. And uh, I was a radio man. Um, I had wanted to be a diver uh, the, like, and uh, had had issues with my sinuses in dive school. And uh, so I went to this ship and then uh, the opportunity opened up to work with the SEALs as a communicator. So that was great. That was a great job. I was tactical support running little single channel satellite radios. You can you can set up and communicate from anywhere in the world with, you know, with this stuff you got on your back encrypted on a uh, very early laptops, very, you know, the uh, grid of hardened, uh, you know, you could drop them and they, nothing would hurt them, <laughs> but it was before, you know, AOL or any of that stuff. And uh, so anyway, I was doing that. And then the opportunity where I wouldn't have to die, Swix or this, our, our boat guys, if, if you end up in the water, uh, stuff's gone really bad, but but you still have to you still have to swim well. You have to run well. Uh, you know, skydive, do a lot of the great stuff. So I did that for. Uh, now it's a very if you go to sealswick.com, that's they'll, they'll explain to you what that job is. But back then, it was an un unknown job. There's nobody really even knew about that job. But uh, yeah, I was. You know, I, I did a lot of work in Central and South America and spent time at the embassy in Colombia, uh, uh, in Bogota, trained guys down there. And, and the war on drugs, it really, almost everybody there that was doing this, because we're talking about back when, <laughs> when we didn't know that uh, Bush Sr. was, or it, not him, but that we were supplying uh, cocaine to, to people in Los Angeles and, and, and gangs and things while we're down there training guys to try to stop it. And it became clear to me, even back then, that this was a, a, a demand issue in the United States, that the supply is always going to come up. If there's a demand, and it, it will make you rich, somebody is going to provide that supply. And so all of us would talk about this. And, uh, and I started, you know, libertarian ideas started creeping into my head. And, uh, and then I started finding, you know, of course, 2000, of course, Ron Paul is the big breakthrough too. Uh, but, you know, that was, I'd only seen a little bit about him and hadn't really started reading Rothbard or any Mises or any of that stuff yet. But definitely when I got, I went to Afghanistan uh, uh, and uh, before I retired and then Iraq was right as I was retiring. And that just seemed crazy. That just didn't seem to make any sense. It doesn't, uh, 
you know, all of that stuff of that they hate our freedoms and uh, that that's why they're doing all of this. And then Ron Paul came out and said it. No, this is this is blowback. It's because we do all this stuff all over the world. And I'm not alone in a vet, in a veteran that feels like we were used but it's more than that it's more than it, it's like we're, you've got a bunch of patriotic people that are going to do something they think is great and then you realize your puppets in the corporate that that it's not about what you think it's about at all and uh and it pisses you off and uh um there's thousands and thousands of guys like me probably a hundred thousand guys like me that know the whole thing's you know been red-pilled been red pilled. Yeah. And so a- after you had that sort of red pill moment, how, how much longer did you stick around in the military? But not that, but I mean, it was all red pilling as I was getting out, right? I got out in 2004 okay. and, uh, and I'd done, you know, over 20 years. And uh, st- I knew I, I had, would have been a good time to stay in as, as far as opportunity to use my skill set. But it, it was, I was already anxious to go. I wanted to make documentary films. And I also didn't want to be part of, of Iraq or any of that. That didn't make any sense to me. Afghanistan, you know, I, I volunteered to go back to a SEAL team after 9-11 because, uh, you know, everybody wanted to get bin Laden. You just seen two planes go into, into the <laughs> Twin Towers. The opportunity to be part of that, I was all for that. Um, I still am, am proud of that, but but Iraq didn't make any sense. And then, you know, now I even question Afghanistan. Twenty years, what are we doing? Right. You, you know, there's there's good poppy fields there. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and how did you end up getting into filmmaking? Well, I'd always I'd always liked it, and I had a, a lot of college from before I joined the Navy, and so I I. I while I was in the Navy, I'd take courses and finish my undergrad degree. And then when I got out, I, I went to uh, uh, film school. And then obviously the VA, uh, the GI Bill and all that helped me do that. But I only wanted to make documentary films. It's became my passion. It's, it, you know, the, the true stories when you get into, you know, you don't know where it's going to go. It's not scripted. It's not Let's take a quick second and thank another sponsor for today's show. And this is, of course, the Lucky Guy Bakery, bringing you homemade, handcrafted, delicious brownies using only the freshest, all-natural ingredients. They're not too sweet. They're not too salty. They're just super chocolatey and super delicious. They've got all kinds of brownies for everybody out there. I like the original, but if you're a peanut butter guy, they've got the peanut butter bonanza. If you like oatmeal, they've got that for you. If you're vegan, they've got you covered. If you're gluten-free, they've got you covered. So go to the luckyguybakery.com. Use my promo code PF20. That's P as in peddling, F as in fiction, 
20 for 20% off your order. Send yourself some brownies, send them to somebody that you care about, and get some for that significant other in your life. Chocolate makes everyone happy. They have done studies on this. The reaction that people get, particularly women, when they're indulging in some dark chocolate, it's going to be a lot better for them than looking at some flowers. I mean, I suppose you can get them flowers too. But when it comes to flowers, I'm reminded of some wise old words from my favorite uncle. Why would I try to tell you I love you by giving you something that's dying? That's what flowers are. No, no. Go with the chocolate. Give her some sustenance. Give her the chocolate orgasm by going to the Lucky Guy Bakery and using the promo code PF20 for 20% off your order. It's the best of both worlds. You satisfy your girl. You satisfy your sweet tooth. You support the show. And the Lucky Guy Bakery is a fan of the show as well. So everybody wins here. You won't be sorry. Check out the LuckyGuyBakery.com Promo code PF20. Um, you know, it's like you, when you're interviewing people, you don't know where they tell you something. And, and then you're like off in a whole, uh, I was interviewing a girl about this case. And, and, you know, she, I knew she had dated one of the guys. Cause this is about two guys involved in a murder, two SEAL, SEAL trainees. And she had dated one. I knew that and I'm talking to her and then she says, but then I started dating the other <laughs> <laughs> and then the whole the whole story, like it all went off into this whole other, you know, she had been uh, in letter writing with this other guy, the actual guy that committed the murder and had letters and all these things. I had no idea going in where this was going to go and that we could get to the bottom of things through her, what she figured out that I had that I didn't know when I, you know, when I was just going through, you know, I'd interviewed a couple people, got names called, said, Hey, I'm going to bring a film crew out and we're going to talk to you. And while I'm talking to her, she tells me, Oh no, Billy Brown told me this. I'm like, when did you, Oh, well, I started dating Billy after I, you know, and, and uh, so it was like, uh, you know, you don't know where it's going to go. And that's uh, to me, that's more, and also, Get to catch, you know, you get to catch uh, prosecutors lying to you and different things that uh, you know you can take on the system. At least right now, uh, we'll see how long that we'll see how long that lasts. <laughs> okay, so l- let's talk a little bit more about the actual movie. What's uh, what's the story there? What's the plot yes. line? Yeah, it's a, it's an amazing story that most people don't know anything about. Uh, you know, it's on Amazon Prime and, you know, my website and everything else. But here's the story. There's two young Navy SEAL trainees. They go, they meet in Buds. They're both tall. So they get teamed together. Normally in Buds, you, you'll get have over 100 people. And, you know, 15 to 20 will make it through. It's very tough training. It's at Buds stands for Basic Underwater Demolition SEALs. So they finish... Uh, one of the kids, Dustin Turner, uh, Dustin Turner's from in, Indiana, Bloomington, Indiana. Billy Joe Brown is from, from uh, uh, Dayton, Ohio. They f- eventually finish the bloodstream. They both get rolled back in training for getting hurt, but uh, very close to each other. And they're both tall, so they end up in the same boat crew because you carry boats on your head. Normally, guys are ringing out. Ringing out is when you quit. You go up and ring this bell and you quit. And, and, and it's so cold and miserable 
and I go into the, basically the first first sixteenth of the movie about buds and what how difficult it is. So normally you have different swim buddies all the time, but these guys make it through together and they stay swim buddies. Then they both get uh, it takes them like a year and, and a couple months to get through because of this injury, and then they go out to Virginia Beach to get stationed together at SEAL Team Four, and on the night of and it, by this time Billy Brown who is He's come into the Navy. He was 6'3", 180 when he started. And by the time, you know, you've got, you've got uh, Tijuana right there. They're in, they're in San Diego. That's where Bud's is. He goes down to Tijuana and gets steroids all the time. By the time he leaves, he's become an abusive steroid user and alcoholic while going through Bud's, which is a phenomenal thing i mean think of uh of drinking yourself to blackout and then getting up at four in the morning and swimming a mile and, and running you know five or ten or whatever and training all day carrying logs and all this stuff the guy was bulletproof and it was it was a a good uh candidate if it hadn't been for all that of being a good seal he could operate he could do he could you know dive and and uh, run and swim and all the and could endure the pain, which is the biggest part, the freezing cold and just the pain. And he and Turner, but the reason I bring up his size is by the time he got out of, out of Bud's, he was like 220. He'd put on weight during a period where you're, you don't put on weight. You, you know, everybody loses weight. But he had worked out, you know, his type of guy that would finish the day of work of at Bud's training and then go to the gym, right? He may be, <laughs> he has a lot of traits of a psychopath, but that's one that doesn't, the, the hard work, that's not very normal for psychopaths. And this film, I ended up studying psychopaths quite a bit because uh, it's, it's very curious why he got as far as he did with some of the things he'd had a hit and run accident. He had all these alcohol incidents but anyway, they end up out in Virginia Beach, and uh, on the night of June, in the early morning of June nineteenth, uh, nineteen ninety-five, they go to at ten on the eighteenth. It was a Sunday night. Um, they don't have to be back at training until the afternoon of Monday, so they go out to a bar, the Bayou, and Turner, the blonde kind of uh, boy next door looking guy, meets a girl. Brown goes to the bar and drinks rounds of, of uh, shots of bourbon, a rum and Coke and two beers in rounds. And he's already pretty much fallen down drunk. And uh, Turner meets this girl. Her friends want to leave at one in the morning. She, she tells them, let me stay, come back and pick me up at two. And, uh, and she and Turner are going to go to the beach and try to be back for them to pick her up. Um, and uh, are you still there? Yeah, yeah, I'm still there. I just my internet is uh, a little slower, so I'm just going to kill the the video feed. Sure, sure. Um, and uh, so, uh, what we know is that he goes every all the witnesses from the trial and everything else go. The Turner and she left, and Jennifer Evans left for his car at um, about one forty in the morning and went out to his car. He had arranged for Brown to have a ride home with a girl that worked there. So he distanced himself 
from Brown. And uh, we have testimony to all of this. So, uh, but Brown gets in an argument with the girl and comes out to the car. Eight days later, Turner takes the police to the body out in the woods in Newport News, 40 miles away. And, uh, and they arrest Brown based on Turner's telling the police what had happened, that Brown was extremely drunk. He'd attacked her in a, in a rage, a drunken rage. And he tried to stop him. He wrestled, you know, tried to pull his hands off of her neck, but he basically snapped her neck in, in seconds. And they, uh, that was where it stood for a day. And I was attached to a SEAL team in, in 1995 in Norfolk when this all happened. I didn't know these kids. It, it didn't make any sense to me. And, uh, but Brown, being the guy that Brown is, said, I didn't do it. He did it. And now you had the police stuck in this situation where who's telling the truth? This girl in the woods, does it really matter if, the, if they abducted her? If that's what happened, then it doesn't really matter by law. It's a, it's a felony murder. So there was a felony committed. and uh, But Turner's story didn't have anything to do with it. She was killed in the parking lot almost instantly. And Brown's was, you know, Brown's is he's such a knucklehead. He had said first that, well, I just held her down and Turner killed her. And then he said, oh, no, she was dead when I got to the car. So he's already, he already knew his stories didn't make any sense. And then the evidence in the car. But the prosecutors decided to go with Brown's story. Um, they tried Brown first. He's convicted, sent to, spent, uh, sentenced to 72 years. Then uh, three months later, this is the summer of 96, uh, after a year of, of hearing Brown's lawyer saying Turner had done it, even though there's virtually no evidence in the car that she was ever anywhere but the front seat and all of Brown's stories have her in the back seat. The car doesn't configure the way Brown said all these different things that once I started digging into it, it's like, how did this, how did the defense not bring any of this up? But uh, anyway, Turner's found guilty. And then, Three, three years later, Brown writes his attorney in 99 and says that all of that stuff I was telling you was uh, uh, bullshit. And uh, Turner was telling you the truth from the beginning. You know, I had never heard any of that uh, until because none of that got uh, out in the media because his attorney didn't do anything. And uh, um but when, I knew that when I got out of the Navy in 2004 and I, I had a few stories that I wanted to tell, and that was one of them. And as soon as I started digging in and finding out things and then getting told, basically being lied to by the police and prosecutors, that made me that much more curious about what really happened here. How did this, how did he get found guilty Hey guys, let's take a quick break and thank one of our other sponsors for today's show. And you know them well as Zipix Toothpicks. Guys, this is the perfect alternative for all you smokers out there. They are nicotine-infused flavored toothpicks that you can enjoy and get your nicotine fix from anywhere in the in the country, wherever you are. Doesn't matter if you're inside, outside, in a non-smoking area, in a smoking area, with a hot date, doesn't matter. You could pop this toothpick in, 
chew on it a little bit, get that oral fixation that that some of us need, and also get your nicotine fix at the same time. And nobody's none the wiser. They come in six great different flavors. They got a variety uh, for you to choose from, or you can get the ultimate flavor pack sent directly to you. They're cheaper than any of the -the over-the-counter nicotine alternatives, the gum, the patch, the... Uh, chewing tobacco, whatever it is, these are going to be cheaper and cleaner than a lot of those other ones and just more convenient. I mean, how how much easier can it get to just pop a toothpick in your mouth for a couple of minutes to get to get your craving satisfied? I can't think of uh, a better way of doing that. So go to zippixtoothpicks.com. That's Z as in zebra, I-P-P-I-X.com. Use my promo code FICTION for 10% off your order, and you can start curbing those nicotine cravings without smoking, without chomping on some gum, without having a big wad of chewing tobacco in your cheek. All you got to do is go to zippixtoothpicks.com, use my promo code FICTION so they know I sent you, and you can pop a toothpick in your mouth whenever you need it to satisfy those cravings. So make sure you go and do that right now. All right, let's get back into the show. You can say, hey, I don't care because the girl's dead in the woods. He drove away. He had a crime for eight days. He covered for his, you know, I don't care what happens to Turner, and that's fine because that's at least you're being honest about what happened and you're fine with even though he didn't commit a felony by abducting her if he did that's okay that's i disagree but that's acceptable but if you try to say that he abducted her and he helped murder her or that he had any that two seals would go to a bar and uh that everybody knows them he would show her girlfriends his id one of them would drink himself to you know falling down drunk They'd have this little tiny car. Everybody would know where it's the worst plan ever that two seals would do this. It's, it's ridiculous. And that's how I looked at it. So not let's figure out what really happened. And now that you have Brown telling the truth, um, watch the movie. (laughs) You'll, uh, you'll see what happens. So there, there is an interesting twist toward the end of it, right? Well, yes. Yeah. The end of it. Yeah. I would put it more than a twist. The end of it will break your heart, but that's, uh, um, you got to go watch and find out. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Hey, I, I suggest Amazon and, uh, uh, if you have Amazon prime, it's free for you. And, and, uh, uh, but it is on iTunes and it is on Google play, but, uh, Amazon prime it's, you know, I figure if, 30,000 people or so have seen it, maybe 40,000, but that leaves, you know, 300 million more um, that uh, could watch this film. It's, I think as a libertarian, I I don't, you know, you don't get, or I haven't heard, I I watched or listened to all, I think I've heard all your shows. I don't know, but um, wrongful convictions doesn't come up much in our our prison and uh, prison industrial complex or or tom woods or dave smith or, or and to me it should be you know if you go from attacking the left from the left uh this fits and if you go from attacking the right from the right about how much this costs that we imprison you know the war on drugs all of it that that it, it, it should be a big issue for libertarians and uh, and it kind of gets left behind. But, uh, you know, I think 
I always say I've got more in common with a red-pilled lefty than than a blue-pilled Republican. <laughs> yeah, no, that that's a that's definitely an, uh, a valid point. You know, I I have not spent a lot of time on the podcast on that specific issue, but it, it is it, it's just horrible what what's happening to so, so many people in terms of wrongful convictions. But it, it's usually from the you know the drug war perspective, and you don't. Um, we, we never see a lot of stories where it's, you know, something actual, actually horrible happened, but, um, these other guys, you know, somebody else got blamed for it or somebody got railroaded. Yeah. And, and the whole felony, uh, the whole, if you're involved, I think a lot of that needs to be looked at that it was made these laws and we can thank Joe Biden and we can thank Kamala Harris for enforcing them. But a lot of these laws you know, it became so strict that if you were involved in anything and somebody gets killed, well, you're going to do time for that murder. And a lot of the, it's, I think there needs to be way more uh, um, ability by judges and juries to, to say, well, wait, what was this guy's real involvement in this? And in this case, they made up a felony, an abduction that never happened. And, and, uh, the way we didn't know it didn't happen is we have it doesn't make any sense. But also the that Brown is now telling us the, his story. Now, that could be a lie. I'll let you guys decide whether Brown you think Brown's telling the truth. Uh, and, and there's some people that just don't care. And that's fine, too. But look at look at what happens with DNA and clearing all these people. You know, I've become involved with with the Innocence Project and. And a, 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 a young woman that watched my film was so moved by it that she became started a nonprofit in Virginia. It's called Virginians for Judicial Reform. And she in heavy with Innocence Project and and finding all these DNA cases. And what what happens to the people that if DNA cleared somebody, which has cleared like 400 people off of death row, what did the prosecutors do? And what did the police do to get it wrong? And why hasn't anything ever been done to these people or at least to the system that that's just the most, that's death row DNA, but it's happened. These wrongful convictions are happening all the time and we're not doing anything to correct it. It's costing us a ton. We're ruining people's lives. And, uh, and that seems to me the most libertarian you're, you're actually coming and taking people and putting them in cages and they didn't do it. And uh, we need to be able to fix that. And if we don't even adjust, if we don't even go after the DNA cases that we know for sure, these people didn't do it. We're never going to fix it if we won't fix those, but figure out what have you ever done, whether it's investing or working on a car or whatever, that you do something wrong, you don't correct that you don't figure out what you did. Well, I'll tell you, in my line of work, that doesn't work. You got to fix fix stuff, or people die. Yeah, not film, yeah. not filmmaking. <laughs> Although that has happened. <laughs> and so, what what do you think would be a good solution to these types of problems? Or is there one aspect or one one major thing that we should attack first to to sort of um, fix these issues? I think the first thing would be conviction integrity units. The states that have done this, and they have to be completely independent. They can't be, you know, attached to the to the state, and or at least attached to law enforcement because you know investigating yourself just doesn't work. But 
anytime that there's enough evidence that a conviction looks bad, have a neutral, you know, then what this does is sets up for, you know, these prosecutors that are, you know, nobody ever gets reelected as a prosecutor for being so thoughtful and empathetic or, right, it's being tough on crime. It's being, you know, how many people can I execute? How many people, what's my conviction rate? And they'll do a lot to make sure they get that. So if they had that conviction integrity unit, you know, and something I've kicked around, and I don't know if anybody's ever thought of it, is malpractice insurance for prosecutors. You know, because the state, when they do it, the state has to pay, uh, you know, somebody makes $3 million settlement, the state comes up with that. Well, what, wouldn't it be nice if the prosecutors and his insurance company had to had to pay for that and they would be applying free market you know market pressure on him to not screw up just like doctors now there's a lot of there's are issues with that because now you'd be going up against 20 insurance lawyers right you you uh to say that they would necessarily want to get to the truth you know i i don't know i uh, i'm not exactly a, a fan of insurance companies yeah yeah no those are uh that would be a very interesting angle and a lot of um anarcho-capitalism it utilizes insurance in ways that we don't re- the typical person doesn't think that you could actually right. use insurance right right exactly yeah that, and and this is this is our uh, uh you know our autism right this is our our thing that we kick around the theoretical for, well, then, well, if my security company did this and yours didn't, you know, you can get really down the rabbit hole on all this stuff, but it is part of what we do. Yeah. And, and so while you were making, how long did it take you to make this documentary, by the way? Well, it was crazy. I was in LA in 2006, 2007. And then Dustin turned, and I had a, a copy that, that was okay. Uh, it had this horrible audio of, of Brown confessing. And, uh, um, and then Turner gets his day in court. So I'd already spent a good bit of money. And, uh, but that was before the housing collapse. And so I wasn't as concerned about money. <laughs> so, uh, but Dave, Turner gets his day in court, so I pulled the plug on it, move out to Virginia and film in Virginia Beach in 2005 that's in the film, or, or I mean, pardon me, in 2008 uh, that, that's in the film. And then then the appellate court, because Turner wins in that court, I'm giving away the film, but the Turner wins in that court, the state appeals it, so, you know, because that judge says, Brown's telling the truth, let him go. And then I'm not going to give away the rest of it, but I appeal through through the uh, all the way till 2011, and uh, then a whole did edited myself did an entire new recut of it. So probably you know it's not like I was sitting and you know or, or filming for six years, but the thing took about six years to make. And over the the course of that time, you learned a lot about just how the judicial system has been working and or not working. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, go, you know, I spent most of my time in courtrooms and I have incredible stories about that, but also in prisons and going into prisons and seeing, you know, the first time I went in, I'm thinking, you know, these, it's going to be Oz, right. It's going to be all these guys, you know, and 
I'm a, a fairly tall, fit guy, but uh, you know, I was I was a little bit like, what's what am I going to run into in here? And it's these prisons are filled with little, you know, it's all drug charges. It's like little kids running around it, and and uh, um, it wasn't scary at all. It was <laughs> like it was like you're kidding me. This is this is who is in the level three prisons. Uh, now, uh, granted, you go to the level five or, you know, you go to where they keep in the, the, you know, the skinheads and the, you know, whatever. But I didn't see it. I didn't see it. And, and, and then you talk to some of them and it is all, it's all this, you know, they were involved in a robbery and, and, and a gun was used. They, they didn't have it, but, you know, they're getting 30 years. You know, they're, they're, our sentencing is crazy compared to the rest of the world. And I think there's there's money, you know, there's huge money in it. All right, let's take a quick break and thank one of our other sponsors for today's show, and that is Photo IQ. Guys, you know I've been talking about them for a while, and I've also been talking about building your human capital, investing in yourselves, learning new skills. And I know all of you guys think you take good pictures. Listen, you don't. I've seen your pictures, okay? They, most of them suck, right? Um, some of us have a, a natural born ability, that a good eye for photography. I'm one of those people, but even I don't know how to take really good pictures. I, I know what makes a good picture. I don't necessarily know how to execute all the time. And that's where Photo IQ comes in. They're going to give you one of the most advanced online photography courses of its kind, like nothing you've ever taken before. They will help you build an uh, uh, an online portfolio. They'll give you feedback on, on all of your um, all the pictures that you take and everything like that. It's going to be more in depth than just about any anything you take up to the college level uh, advanced photography courses. And it's going to be far less cheaper. You don't have to take out any student loans or anything like that. You just got to go to photo iq.co and use my promo code fiction you will get 20 percent off the order so any classes that you order for this guy right now he's giving you 20 percent off he doubled the discount for 2021 don't miss out on this i don't know how long the 20 percent is going to last so go and get it now you don't have to take the classes now you can take them whenever you want there's no time restriction on this or anything like that you can take it at your own pace whenever you have time and he'll give you a money-back guarantee. So you really have nothing to lose. Go to photoiq.co and use promo code FICTION so they know I sent you, and you'll get 20% off your order. All right, let's get back into the show. Yeah, so, well, when you say there's huge money in it, what can you uh, elaborate on that a little more? Well, I, I, you know, you have back then, now this has changed, but back then you, you had um, like the phone deals. They would have to call out, you know, their their parents could give them a card if, if they would allow it. You know, back then you could get a, a 1-800 card, you know, for 10 bucks and get, you know, 100 minutes or something. But it was a huge uh, bidding war between the, the telephone companies uh, to get the prison contracts because uh, the, the parents and the friends that they would have to call collect would pay, you know, sometimes they'd have $1,000, $2,000 phone bills. No, every minute they they were spaying, p- paying way more 
And even now it's still, it's not as bad, but they don't have self, you know, it's not like the rest of us operate. They're going through this system that has a lot of money tied into it. A lot of money with, you know, I don't know if you know this, but the, the big supporter in California for the three strikes you're out it was the prison guards union that they put a lot of money into making sure three strikes you're out sticks. So we have this strange cabal of people, you, you know, you don't think of labor as being, the, having anything to do with the, you know, prison for profit. And I'm not even saying, uh, you know, private prisons. I, you know, the public prisons are, are just as bad. Um, you know, a, a, a true Rothbardian would say they should all be private, right? Because they'd be more um, efficient. The question is, you know, what are we looking at? providing with that product, right? Is it, um, it, it is one that I, I it would be, make for great discussion of whether public or, or private prisons are better. I have no doubt that they would be more efficient than the private, but, um, you know, that's, that's just, that's, that's a big subject. Yeah. Yeah. And well, it, it's tricky because even with these so-called private prisons we have, they're still enforcing everything that the state wants them to enforce you know so exactly yeah the the, the water is getting really uh murky there and, and everything's kind of intertwined and you get it's more of that public private partnership that you know we have with like the federal reserve and it's usually the worst of both worlds because you have the um they'll be more efficient but efficient at what you know like um, <laughs> exactly putting people in yeah. cages for a longer yes, period of right. time. Yeah, exactly. So we have to decide what the product we want because, yeah, I mean, it is, it, it, you know, but technically it's fascism, that whole private public, you know, we picked that, you know, that's what that, that's what Mussolini and all of that was about, right? They, they, you're in coordination with the government. Um, you get the worst, right? You're going to get the worst. And, yeah. uh, uh, the Federal Reserve is a classic example. Uh, uh, your last show was great, where you where you you broke down why that's so. But hopefully, it's falling apart, and uh, and then silver and different things will be. You know, I, I, I my biggest thing would be in the war on drugs, as far as that goes, and then these prisons would be virtually empty. Yeah, yeah, and it it's got so much public support which is another weird thing. You know, we, we talk about democracy and how they're representing the will of the people and everything. I find somebody that is pro the, you know, the war on drugs and, and how it's actually being executed. And I mean, the, the fact that it's still going on to this day is just. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and, and that democracy works. Wait, go to any of these people, the people of any, any Senator, and who is for it? So why is your senator for it? Uh, what is this really about? And it is, you know, it, it, there's huge money in it. Uh, you know, if I were a successful drug dealer, I wouldn't want it legalized. I, believe me, I wasn't always this cynical, but you, you spend a little time in an embassy or uh, there's, the, the world is, is way different than what we were raised to think it is. Yeah. Did you, um, when you were in the military, did, so you, you got to go to a lot of embassies and stuff like that? I, I have a few. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah I, uh, uh, Bogota, uh, uh, Kabul. Yeah. Yeah. There's uh, 
the one thing I will say about that is the CIA hires a lot of hot women. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Like what? It, it, it's it's got to be the biggest honeypot collection. Uh, yeah, it's it's a it's crazy. I've never yes. seen a homely girl in the CIA. Never. <laughs> that that is. Uh, I, I guess it kind of makes sense if they're trying yeah. to use them as spies, right? You gotta have. Exactly. You gotta be easy on the eyes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh no, they're not dumb, right? It's again, it's just like what's their product? What's what are they after? But no, they're not dumb. <laughs> Although I don't, I don't know if John Brennan's particularly bright. How many different places were you stationed? Uh, about seven, seven. Yeah, I think cool. seven. I was, I was actually waiting to be, uh, to retire, and uh, and I was in Pensacola. I'd been down in, I was stationed in Panama. Uh, was one of the last guys there. We had to get every. I was at SOC South Special Operations Command South, which is SEALs and swicks and green berets and some marines is you know special operations command for this for the southern command which is you know the south america central america and we had to leave panama in 99 so uh we were leaving moving southcom to miami and socks south to puerto rico so i did that whole big move and then i was i, I went to uh pensacola and was waiting to retire. Um, I was running a schoolhouse, and uh, 9/11 happened, and so it, was, it took me a couple months to get everything done and transferred. But I went back to the SEAL team in Virginia Beach, and then deployed over, uh, the, deployed over there. And that's I was at Bagram Airfield, but when it was next to now, it's huge. But it was we had no heads. We had you know like trash cans with plywood with holes cut in it you know with uh tents and and uh but now it's a big huge airfield you know i don't know how many billions of dollars went into that that we'll just leave behind i guess <laughs> oh man that they they can really go through some cash with this very industrial <laughs> complex it's unbelievable yeah it's just the meals i ate where, you know they'd come over and they'd cook these and it's pretty amazing what they can do you know that they've set up this huge mess tent and you're eating three, three to five times a day, not like you're eating at, at uh, you know, a five-star restaurant, but you're eating pretty good, uh, you know, real food. And when, the, uh, when I, when they eventually put in the heads, right. And I'm just thinking, cause they'd have Afghani guys driving these trucks to, to the porta pots to suck the gunk out of the porta pots. And I thought, those interviews for those guys for this job had to be hilarious. You know, what, whoever's, you know, uh, Cheney's group or what, whoever's supplying these things and saying, here's, a, here's your job. Here's what you're going to do. See these Americans, you know, they're going to use these things and you got to go clean it up. Yeah. Ooh, and then so who knows what that, that contract had to be billions of dollars. Yeah. Billions. Just yeah. to that. <laughs> oh God. Yeah, it, it is crazy. Where, um, where was your favorite place to go? Spain. Spain. Spain yeah. I rode to Spain and, um, the Palma de Mallorca. Awesome. As a filmmaker, I went to Amsterdam to do the international documentary, uh, film festival there. Uh, I, I, I could handle that. Um, uh, you know, Europe, I like Europe quite a bit. I, I, um, I like Asia. Um, Hawaii is great. 
but you know where you are. Um, I've been on the Gulf side, but I want to I want to go to your side, and uh, I've got this great classic old RV, unbelievable that uh, I use for filmmaking for you know documentary. I want to take it down there and uh, uh, you know just travel around for six months or something. That that would be really cool. I I, I see people doing that. <laughs> there yeah. was. A- there was an RV from like Utah I saw the other day that, yeah. uh, I mean, it was like, uh, probably like a 1989. Right. Car. This is, this is a 74 GMC Eleganza. If you've ever seen, they look like spaceships. They're all glass. If you saw like that, there's, they're in some movies and everything. They're crazy looking. And, uh, it's like, you're in a big, huge van, but you can sleep in there. And, uh, and it's the coolest, coolest thing. I love traveling in it, but, uh, you know, uh, I got to have somewhere to go. And uh, uh, I think where you are is about as good as I can get on. But if I go there, I'll probably go to Costa Rica and down to Panama again. Costa Rica is great. Costa Rica is good. Are are you working on any other documentaries right now or what's going on? I I am. I'm working on one about, uh, uh, well, I've got a couple going. One is about a musician that, uh, a great musician his name's uh angie aparo that uh he wrote cry that's faith she had a big hit with it um but he had a stroke and his uh and he's not that he's not that old it was a a, a kink in his artery so he didn't get uh, so he couldn't remember the he couldn't remember any words and um he had to teach himself to speak again and he makes a living writing songs and singing and performing and uh, uh, so it's kind of a bio, uh, but it also gets into this um, the story of of his story and coming back and be, being able to perform again, but also the story of what happens, why your brain works the way it does, how you can reattach. What he did was he would, his doctor told him to sing, um, uh, you know, he's in the grocery store. I'm getting a, ba- a, a bottle of ketchup and put a melody to it so that he could re- and then he could remember the words and 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 that's how he taught himself to talk again and remember like mel tillis the guy that stuttered he could sing and it, and it be fine but he couldn't and that's uh it's very strange and we haven't figured it out yet but the brain music attaches uh, these pathways and uh it's fascinating i've only uh, you know scratched the surface on it and then there's another wrongful conviction one that, that you know, it's, it's sad and, and, uh, and pathetic where, you know, prosecutors, they just won't admit when they, when they've got it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that that's great. I, I think it's a great cause. And I, I like the idea of using, you know, film to sort of expose these issues to people because, you know, it, Americans, especially we're, we're very lazy. We're not going to really um, dig into these issues on Read our a own. book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I gotta read a book. book. Right? You gotta, you gotta read it out loud with them and show them some moving pictures and the shiny object, and then the, and then they'll like they'll get it. I'm that way too. I like to listen to books more than I like to read them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm a big audiobook guy too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, because you can do two things. You can you know write on the subway and listen. You know, you it's you know it's it, it, I, I I have trouble driving and reading at the same time. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's just, uh, well, and, it, and it interrupts my drinking. That's true. Yeah. You got to be hands free. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, hey, this was fun, man. We're coming up on just about an hour here, so we should probably yeah. wrap. But um, yeah. let's uh, let's tell everybody where they can go to, to check out your film. Yeah, sure. Go to neargeniusfilms.com. Uh, uh, and there'll be a bunch of tabs there, but, but, but if you have Amazon prime, go to Amazon prime, search seal murder, it'll pop right up. Uh, iTunes, same thing. Um, you know, it's the only thing out there about this case and, uh, you know, yeah, please go watch, write reviews. The biggest thing is, you know, if you go to iTunes reviews and read the reviews, you want to watch my film, uh, same with Amazon prime. But write the reviews, even if you don't like it. Well, no, if you don't like it, don't write a review. But uh, yeah, just check it out. And uh, I think it may be coming up on Peacock soon. We're working that out with uh, that streaming service by NBC. But right now, it's not available there yet. So Amazon Prime, neargeniusfilms.com. All right, cool. And, and th thanks for having me, John. You're, you're doing a great show. And uh, I knew we'd have a good conversation yeah no problem this was fun and uh when you get the other films done we'll, we'll have you back on to to talk about those we'll make sure to link to amazon and near genius films uh, in the episode description so everybody can get there nice and easy uh, navy seals target of opportunity right yep yep that, that's it thanks again cool man take care nothing further out all right all right well there you have it that was jd leet uh, documentary filmmaker, best known for Navy SEALs, Target of Opportunity. Go check it out on Amazon or uh, check it out on his website, neargeniusfilms.com. If anything, just to support a fellow ANCAP libertarian and a fan of this show, you know, I like to support uh, small businesses and everybody's sort of entrepreneurial spirit. I think what he's doing is pretty cool, and it's a hell of a lot of work. I, I couldn't imagine. I don't remember if we talked about this on air or off air, but just editing a fucking movie would just be the most tedious fucking thing ever. The, just the editing I have to do for these podcasts drives me fucking crazy. And thank God when I have a video, Justin takes care of it for me because I just don't have the... Uh, the patience for it but um check him out don't forget to download and subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already and if you liked what you heard here today or in the past do me a favor and give me a five-star rating and review on itunes share the show with people that you know let's start to grow this audience a lot this year and if you want to become a supporting member of the show and get into the friday night uh happy hours that we're we're going to start having Go to peddlingfictionpodcast.com and set up a monthly subscription to or a monthly uh, donation to support the show and help me fund things like advertising and equipment and all that good stuff. So if you guys can do all that for me, I will be back with a brand new episode for you. And until then, you guys know the drill. Just keep on peddling that so-called fiction. Peace.